The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to Privacy Piracy at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Hi, I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer and sometimes host, and your regular host is Mari. And if you don't know about her, let me tell you a little bit. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with a CD and forward by Diane Feinstein. She sits as an, an advisor to the state of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV She's been on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, and ABC News, The O'Reilly Factor, Geraldo, and many more shows. And she presented her own 90-minute PBS television special last year, which aired again this year, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Mari. Hi there. We have a great show tonight. Good. Yeah, I'm excited. You remember when I went to Chicago for a meeting on security breaches, and I told you I got to meet the wonderful new privacy officer for Choice Point. I remember. Yep. And so I thought how how terrific it would be if I could get her, you know, from her busy schedule and join us. She's in, uh, you know, Washington, D.C., so we're so lucky to have her with us. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Okay. Okay, um, Carol Batiste is the Chief Credentialing, Compliance, and Privacy Officer at ChoicePoint. She reports to the company's Board of Directors, uh, Privacy Committee, and she leads an independent office in Washington, D.C. to oversee ChoicePoint's customer and internal credentialing. And she established credentialing and privacy policies and procedures regarding compliance with local, state, and federal privacy laws. Now, this lady has had an incredibly colorful background. Um, From March 2003 to April 2005, she served as the deputy administrator, previously as the chief of staff, at the Transportation Security Administration. Remember a few weeks back we interviewed Lisa Dean? From the TSA, yeah. Yeah, she's a privacy officer, so we learned a little bit about that. So Carol comes with a wealth of knowledge from from that area, too. And before that... um, You know, for several years, she had worked for them from 2003 to 2004. She was their chief of staff. And then prior to joining TSA, she was a partner. She's a lawyer. She was a partner at Holland and Knight um, from 2001 into 2003. And before that, she was undersecretary of the United States Air Force and the second uh, highest ranking position responsible for recruiting, training, and equipping more than 750,000 individuals and she had a budget of over $70 billion, so she knows wow. how to handle money. Yeah, I'll have to tell her when she's listening in that uh, our grandson is in the Air Force. That's right. Yep, he's in Japan. Anyway, from 1997 to 1999, um, Carol Batiste was the Deputy United States Attorney for the Southern District of Florida. So she's moved around a little bit, too. 
From 1994 to 1997, she was the director and executive officer for the United States Attorney's Department of Justice, and she provided um, executive management and legal security and policy support to the 94 offices of the United States Attorney's nationwide. So, I mean, she has so much more going on here. <laughs> and then before that, um, she served as Director of Executive Office for the United States Attorneys. Um, she was Principal De- uh, Deputy General for the Department of the Navy. So she's been in, you know, she's, uh, you know, has a, a long history of that. But I have to tell you this, way back in 1971, when she was a baby, she enlisted in the United States Air Force, and she received her commission in 1976, and then she retired as a major in 1991. She served as a chief prosecutor and everything. So she has really had an incredible life and experience, and we're so thrilled. Are you there, Carol? Yes, I am, and I'm thrilled to be with you tonight. Oh, thank you. You've done so many fun things. Did you hear our grandson is in the Air Force? I did, and I love it. He is serving our country, and I think that's wonderful, and congratulations to you, and thank you to him. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty excited. Now, tell us, you have this great background and this exciting history here. How did you become interested in privacy issues? Well, Mari, if you look at my background, uh, you can see that it always has been centered around security, privacy, and compliance. And privacy in the criminal context, Fourth Amendment privacy, but also privacy in the civil context, in, in the compliance area. So it's, it's always been something very important to me uh, and important to who I am and what I believe in, whether I've been a defense attorney or whether I've been a prosecuting attorney or supervising those who do that, or whether I've just done compliance with federal laws or state and local laws that protect the privacy of individuals. I love it, and I'm very excited to be doing it as a full-time job now with ChoicePoint. Right. You've really evolved through the years, and, and I noticed before you had you know done things about the uh, U.S. Privacy Act. So you've really, you know, watched this whole area of privacy evolve, haven't you? Yes, I have, and it has, and it, it has evolved, hasn't it? <laughs> and it continues to do so. Now, you know, you must have dealt with a lot of privacy issues when you were at the Transportation um, Security Administration. What what did you learn over there? Well, as you know, just uh, as in every government agency, and and now in the private sector. Privacy and security are pillars to any effective programs that TSA would put together. And the the key for TSA, it was very challenging and rewarding to help stand up that very important agency after the horrific uh, event of 9-11. But everything that TSA does, the first thing that they really think about is what are the privacy implications to individuals, whether it's traveling on airplanes or for whatever reason that they are uh, collecting data or using data about people, whether it's even a Freedom of Information Act request or a Privacy Act request, all of those things are things that uh, people at TSA think about every day. And there are many challenges when you're standing up a new agency that's main mission is security. Yes, and that that must have been a real tough job. And then I, I can see that uh, why, with all of your wealth of experience, why ChoicePoint came and grabbed you uh, when they were going through their crisis. 
So a lot of people don't really know about Choice Point. We've talked about um, the whole information broker industry. We've talked about Choice Point on the show. We've talked about security breaches. But let's let's hear from you. Uh, really, tell our our audience who does what is Choice Point? What does it do? And um, give us the background on it a little bit, would you? I'd love to, Maury. Choice Point, in a nutshell, helps businesses, the government, and nonprofit organizations reduce fraud and what I call mitigate economic and physical risk through information services, through data, and through analytics. And if, if I may, I'd like to explain that a little bit more. Sure. It's an interesting company in that it combines state-of-the-art technology with up-to-date data in a way that helps people, uh, makes people safer, helps people save money and get jobs. For instance, uh, we do millions of pre-employment background checks every year. I think last year we did over six million to help Americans get the jobs that they wanted. At the same time, we work with nonprofit organizations around the country to screen their volunteers and their paid staff. And I can give you a statistic that we looked at recently. We went back over a three-year period of the background checks that we did for nonprofit organizations, and we found more than 85,000 people who had applied to work with children or at-risk populations and we found that they had an undisclosed criminal conviction. Of course, we turned that over to the agency, and they did not hire the person. Right. And some crimes, even of that 86,000, were minor, but some were not. In fact, 500 of those included sex offenders who were uh, trying to pursue young children. So in addition to the nonprofits and the uh, background screening for businesses, we also work with the insurance industry, and in the end, save families money while they're trying to, um, we provide the insurance industry tools that they need so they can price the policy for consumers on, that are trying to get auto insurance or property insurance. And they, because of the data that we provide to the insurance companies, it enables them to provide consumers lower-priced insurance. In fact, we've estimated that it it saves money for about 70% of home and auto insurance applicants by the the analytics and the tools that we provide to to our insurance customers. And then finally, as I mentioned previously, we work with law enforcement agencies to provide them with technology and the data they need to stop crime and catch criminals. Right, right. Well, tell us, where, where do you get your information, and, and what kind of information do you gather? Information is obtained from a variety of sources, and much of our, as you know, Mari, we are regulated by federal law and by state law. The Fair Credit Reporting Act applies to the data that we have, uh, the uh, Gramm-Leach-Bliley law, the Driver's Privacy Protection Act, and uh, obviously the FACT Act. So we are an an organization and an agency that is governed by federal and and state and local laws also. And the the data that we get is to do exactly what I said earlier, to run uh, background checks on people so they can get jobs, to provide insurance companies information on consumers 
such as their claims histories in order to mitigate claims fraud. As you know, insurance claims fraud is a big problem today, and we can provide insurance companies information so they can reduce the amount of claims fraud, which in turn will allow consumers to get lower-priced insurance if we mitigate all the fraud out there that drives up the cost of policies. Right. So I know that you gather public information, public records, correct, like from courts and Office of Court Administration, that kind of stuff, right? Yes. We also collect public information, and that is all available publicly. For instance, as you said, bankruptcy liens and judgments, uh, any kind of court records that uh, the, the courts file publicly, on individuals. So yes, we do collect public records and and we have uh, that collection of information on consumers. What other kinds of information do you collect about consumers? Well, employment, uh, when we do background screening, uh, you know, the background screens on consumers, we will collect employment information and Criminal history records, of course, employers want to know, as I mentioned, in the nonprofit area. Our nonprofit customers want to know what the criminal history is of people that they're going to hire, uh, especially if they're working with children, because that's usually where the predators hang out, and they want to get jobs around children. So background screening is vital to the safety of our society today. I believe in it wholeheartedly, and the data that we have that goes into a background screen is data that we maintain to help, you know, companies get people jobs, but also to keep bad people away from the nonprofits. Yeah. You know, Carol, I I don't know if you, maybe, I don't think I talked to you about this before, but I have a, a client who I've been helping who's in Florida who I think I, maybe I even told you about it when we when we got together, but this has happened with lots of clients, is that, um, for example, this poor guy, Ray Lorenzo, he was a victim of criminal identity theft in New York. Um, what ended up happening was the bad guy was really convicted. Um, he had used Ray Lorenzo's name, but he was convicted as himself, Peter Perro. Somehow the courts made a clerical error, and when they entered the data, they entered it as the good guy, as the felon, and the bad guy as the alias. So my poor client was out of you know work for about five years, not being able to get a job, and not knowing this because he had no idea about these background checks. And even though federal law says that if you deny someone employment on the basis of a consumer report, you're supposed to give them a copy or tell them about it, right? Well, no one ever does. We know that. It just doesn't happen. Meanwhile, um, so finally, at the time when he came to me in September, he did not know that there was an error. He just had found out that he was the victim of criminal identity theft. He didn't know about the error. Anyway, long story short, as of just this week, I got a court order correcting the records. But this guy went on for five years. What I'm wondering is, is it possible? I know Choice Point has gone beyond what they're required to federally by making public records available. But how about the fact that um, employers are getting pre-employment background checks? Is there a way that we could have um, 
Choice Point sell directly to consumers who want to get their own pre-employment background check before it's sold so they, you know, so they can actually have it created at that time and find out if there's something going on, especially if someone's been a victim of identity theft? Yes, there is. In fact, that's um, available, and we will talk about that. Uh, that's available to consumers now on our for a fee on our choicetrust.com website an individual can order their own employment background report and they have to go to www.choicetrust that's one word right. .com uh-huh. and they can do that today but Maria I want to go back and I encourage them to do that but I want to go back to something you said it is a requirement of the Fair Credit Reporting Act that if an employer is asking for a background check on an individual and they and they are going to deny the person the job because of something in that background check, that individual is required to uh, be uh, put on notice by that uh, employer, and that person has an opportunity to dispute and correct, and that's under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and we do that every day with consumers. Okay. Now, let me tell you that I know from many people who've called me, they don't always do it, and I don't. you're probably aware of this, but... What happened with Ray, for example, he's in the IT field. He had to apply online to literally, he applied to hundreds of different employers and um, and like monster.com and you know what I'm saying? And he had to provide um, a an authorization for an employment background check even before an interview. And he doesn't even know who received that. The same thing with his credit report. So... What ended up happening is no one, literally no one told him about this until he went back to his IT school and said, why is it with all of my expertise and my grades and everything else, why am I not getting hired? They did the background check and they were the ones who showed it to me, showing that the information was coming up from the Office of uh, Court Administration in Suffolk County, New York. So I agree with you. You're absolutely right, and it's, I'm glad to hear that some people are doing this, but a lot of people aren't. So I like the idea of being able to go to choicetrust.com and order it. So tell me something, though. Is it the exact same uh, pre-employment background check that an employer would get? Are they really identical? I would not say they're identical because it depends on the point in time, Mari, that oh, that right. person is asking for it. But if, if the employer... we don't keep yeah. it in our database, we would, anytime an employer asks, we're going to run a new report on that person. Right. And it depends if something happens in their background in between when the employer asks for it and when they ask for it, yes, there would be a difference. But they, the individual should know that. Um, and so they, you're saying that if, if if a report is ordered by an employment um, an employment agency or an employer and me at the same day, it should look exactly alike? It should look alike. Yes, it should. Okay. And while you're on this subject, I do 
you know, there's other things on that on that website where consumers can get reports for free. Right. I told you about the one they can get for a fee. Okay, so how, they, how much does that one cost? I, cause I, I do not know the okay. exact cost, but it's not expensive. Okay, okay. I think it's 10 or $12, but okay. don't hold me to it because okay. I don't know the exact price. All right, I won't hold you to it. <laughs> it could be $20 even. Okay. I would guess it's going to be okay. somewhere between 10 and $20. Okay, okay. But on that website, consumers can go to www dot choicetrust.com where they can go get into that um, through our main website which is www.choicepoint.com and they can get they can get free annual reports under the fact act you know that that right. we, this was implemented on December 1st 2004 that they can get free annual reports that would include um, the clue auto report that's the insurance the claim the um, comprehensive loss underwriting exchange that's the insurance right your auto get, and your homeowners right, your auto and yeah. your homeowners right they can get any pre-existing uh, background reports right and they can get any pre-existing tenant screening report they can right. get that for free right they can also get a personalized what we call public record search it's not a report really it's a search because all we're doing is searching the public databases and then providing the information to the consumer. And that's why if they want to correct anything on that, they have to go back to the official government source to correct it, like you did in right. your case. Right, right. So the consumer can also get that free report, that personalized public record search report, which, by the way, we are now uh, enhancing I know you're going to talk to me about enhancements that we've put into place, but we're enhancing that search and making that an online. Right now they have to write in to us. Right, right. uh, But that's going to change probably by the end of April that they'll be be able to get that all online. Now, tell me something, Carol, uh, and I, I should introduce you just again, just if somebody is tuning in, if they're driving by and they suddenly tune in, they went, who is this wonderful person that Mari's talking to? So I just want to introduce again um, the Chief Privacy Officer and uh, cre- Chief Credentialing Officer for uh, Choice Point. It's Carol DeBatiste, and she's talking to us all the way from uh, the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and telling us about what um, opportunities Uh, consumers can get to do some of their own checking about themselves because that's so important in this day and age, Carol. So when they go to uh, choicepoint.com, in order to get those free disclosures, if I remember correctly, you have to go to the top where it says FACTA disclosure. Is that right? Yes. And then I would would tell them to go directly to choicetrust.com because then they're directly, they're right on the site. Okay. Okay. www.choicetrust.com. Okay, and there they can get their landlord-tenant uh, history, yes. they can get their uh, auto and homeowner's history, and their uh, work-related history for free. Yes. Under uh, That's under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And also, uh, you're the only major information broker that I know of that is also giving this public records report for free, which is probably you're doing, right, Carol? <laughs> No, it's the company's. Oh, doing. really? It is the company's. Oh, doing, that's yes. good. Well, that's yes. great. Okay, so and those that, are wonderful. And, and then they can get, as you said, as I said, uh, their own employment background report for a fee. Okay, and how? That's pretty comprehensive. Does that include? Um, that includes the criminal background, right? The criminal background. It includes. Check? I, I I understand. It includes. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. 
See, that's I, the one thing I want to make sure because I am, you know, I'm going to call Ray tonight <laughs> and tell him to to do that right away if it's the same because I'm very now that we've gotten those corrections with the court, we have a court order, the changes were made. I just want to make sure what's coming up because now he's going to go full blast and reapply. And, yes, and, I, I want to correct myself. For the one that they are paying for, that would include the criminal background, to the best of my knowledge. Okay, okay, so good. That sounds great. So let's talk about, you know, because people have heard Choice Point and, and, you know, they kind of half listen and they don't know what's going on, but let's talk about what happened when they uh, experienced their own victimization by fraudsters. Tell, can you tell the audience what happened? And um, they probably heard about the Federal Trade Commission sanctions and the, all that stuff. So kind of give us that history, would you mind? I wouldn't mind at all. As you know, uh, Choice Point was defrauded, I would say, by criminals who created a fictional business who they said was legitimate, and they did, they did present to us phony business papers that were not real and to gain access to uh, our information, to choice point information. And they turned out to be, uh, they have uh, now been convicted and have gotten a pretty stiff sentence. Uh, A gentleman has been involved and there was an investigation as soon as we discovered it. And I I do want to underscore that, Mari. It was discovered by choice point. This criminal conduct um, was discovered by Choice Point, and once it was discovered, uh, Choice Point, I wasn't here at the time, but immediately contacted law enforcement. Law enforcement did an investigation, and uh, that investigation is still ongoing today, but that investigation did result in the prosecution and conviction of Mr. Oluwatusen in Los Angeles, and he has been brought uh, brought to justice for um, basically lying to us and presenting phony papers to get credentialed. And I could talk to you. That means that um, to get through the choice point credentialing process, which is a process that determines are you a customer that is legitimate and are you going to use the data that we're going to give you for permissible purpose. And he beat that system at the time. That system has been significantly enhanced and strengthened since then. But he beat that system at the time. He got access to our data, and you know the rest of the story. And right. he did uh, use it for uh, inappropriate and criminal purposes. Right. So he did he sell the information so that there were, what, 700? How many victims were there of identity theft? 750 or something? I don't know what the final well, count was. Well, what we have learned from law enforcement is 16. But I will tell you there's many different figures floating around out there. Oh. The FTC uh, reported uh, up to 800, but okay. I, they, they're not saying that they're – true victims of identity theft. So we've got law enforcement that where we learn from is saying 16, and FT, the Federal Trade Commission has reported up to 800, but not saying whether they were actual victims. They could have been potential victims. Okay, okay. So, But regardless, one yeah, is too many. Right, one is too absolutely. Many. And now tell me something. So this, this guy who was convicted, wasn't he in a fraud ring, or did you, were they not able to get who else was part of his little team? 
All I can tell you, Mari, at this time is the investigation continues, but he has been uh, the only one prosecuted at this time. Okay, so at the time... And convicted and is in jail. That's good. That's good. I mean, we don't get many of those fraudsters that get in jail, so we're, so we're happy about that one. That was, that was a good teamwork with uh, Joyce Point and, and the Los Angeles Sheriff. Yes, very so, good. Yeah, so, so tell me something. So they found out, when was it, of... Uh, Two th- 2004, was it in t- September or something of 2004? Is that right? I think somewhere, I don't know, somewhere around November, I believe, of 2004. Okay. And then it was noticed in, two- in February of 2005 after law enforcement. As you know, they right. when they're investigating, and it's uh, coming from law enforcement, I could tell you why. Sure. They, they don't want to tip yeah. anybody's hand because right. they want to catch the people so they are not committing more crimes against innocent consumers. So once they gave us the green light that their investigation was done to um, a significant degree that it wouldn't harm their investigation if we provided the notice. Choice Point did provide the notice, as you know, and um, provided notice to uh, more than what they had to, about 162,000 people. potentially affected consumers. Right, right. And they went beyond, um, because they didn't do consumers that were affected, they did potentially affected, right. just so they would be on notice and, and provide them with the benefits, and I could go over the benefits that were provided to ensure that they were protected. Right, right. So so they were really the first major company to to really be um, you know compliant with our security breach law here in California the first major breach and well I, I that's a good point that you bring up Mari the first one that got national attention right I think, right I, I said that's what I meant the major one that yes, got attention because right because I would you know not that I'm counting but I am of course, <laughs> of course. I have in 2005 I've done my own homework and in 2005 there were 152 breaches. Right. And that's in all of 2005. And so far in 2006, we've counted 52. Right. And of the 152,000 in 2005, I think you and your listeners will find this interesting. 48% of those involved educational institutions. 16% involved banking, credit, and financial institutions. 12% involved government and the military. 11% healthcare. 3% 3% data information companies like Choice Points. Right. You see that's a small amount compared to the total. Right. And 3% retail and then 7% other businesses. And that tracks pretty much the same in 2006, except there haven't been any data companies in 2006. Right. But that is very telling. And what that signals to me, Mari, is this is a nationwide problem. Absolutely. And an industry-wide problem, not just for data providers, but for everyone. In fact, as you look at the numbers, you see we're a small amount. But I want to convey to people, this is a nationwide problem. And it isn't, it's something we all, as you are, and I commend you, we all need to be concerned with. And we all need to be thinking about it and losing sleep at night about it and finding ways to combat it every day. Right, right. 
Well, it, it can happen to any company. There, there's no question about it. You, you know, you have an unscrupulous employee or you have someone sitting, you know, at their kitchen in the Philippines, you know, with their computer stuff. I mean, it can happen. And, and you know, you're absolutely right about these universities. This is what drives us nuts. And in California, we passed a law a couple of years ago that no university or educational institution whatsoever, whether it be public or private, could use the Social Security number as the identifier. And so that has to be redacted. And I think, you know, because we've had security breaches with Berkeley, you know, we've had them here. And um, so it, it is definitely a problem uh, with universities as well as other large institutions. So anyway, when, when you had this breach and um, you, you did the notification, um, that taught you a lot, didn't it? What are some of the things um, that you've done since you've gotten on board that, that have changed to really protect data? Well, first, Maureen, let me say, and I mean this very sincerely, we learned as a company a lot from that breach. And the first thing we learned is that the American public takes very seriously the security of their personal information, as well they should. Right. No question. And we also learned, as I just said to you, that no business or enterprise is immune from data loss. But what we did, what ChoicePoint did as a company, was really it, privacy and security was always important to ChoicePoint. We were, uh, ChoicePoint as a company, and me included, very sorry what happened with this breach, apologized to the consumers, but put so many additional measures in place. And if I may, I'd like to tell you about some of them. Sure. To really enhance the privacy of the data and the security of the data so to do everything possible we can think of so this will not happen again. And in this last year, I will tell you, we have been moving uh, very quickly and putting a lot of uh, policies and procedures and added protections in place. But I do want to say, Maury, that the company, when I came in, I'm independent. I report to the board of directors. Oh, good. I am an independent office that reports to the board, the privacy committee of the board of directors. So when I came in in May of last year, I took a fresh look at right. everything the company was doing. And I would like you and your listeners to know that I was very pleased with what I saw. The company did have a lot of measures already in place. They were defrauded by this criminal, and that is very unfortunate, and it is even more unfortunate that consumers were affected. But I will tell you, the company already had many, many things in place, so what I did was try to help them build on that and make it the best in the industry so that no one could touch us and no criminal could knock on our door and get in. So in the past year, all, I am, all I'm doing is building on what the company already had. But let me give you a couple examples. Credentialing. Is the, the customer that we're going to give the data to, are they legitimate and are they going to use it for, are they going to use consumer information, sensitive, personally identifiable consumer information for permissible purpose? What we did was we centralized all of our customer credentialing in one place. We hired a staff of 40 people to do this. We strengthened all the credentialing procedures, and we do now multiple internal uh, 
verification of who this customer is, and we also do external verification. There is a 16-page credentialing checklist that we develop and that we follow, and that is graded and scored, and then it goes to an independent uh, analyst, and they do a double check of what the first analyst did, and then that is scored, and if a customer fails it, they don't get the data. In addition to that, we've developed a site visit process, and that is an external site visit process on site where we go when if a customer is getting the most sensitive information, meaning driver's license, social security numbers, or dates of birth, we are going to the site and inspecting them. So even if they try to fool us with the paperwork, we will go to the site to verify that they are who they say they are. Right. And, and that's, since- that's an important issue because what had happened before, if I'm not correct, is that these fraudsters were actually going to Kinko's and getting information downloaded there. Am I correct? Yes. And and you know what? Fraudsters is too nice of a term. <laughs> They're criminals. They are. Well, they are criminals. Yeah. I don't think of fraudsters being a very nice. I'm thinking of a right. bad guys, the impersonators. No, they, they were. They defrauded you as well as the, uh, yes. the consumers. Absolutely. And you're exactly right. The the on-site um, visit is is an added protection. So with the credentialing checklist, with the independent scoring, with the on-site verification, that's pretty – I don't think there's anyone else in the industry, Mari, who is doing what we're doing in that credentialing process. And in addition, we've decided to go back and re-credential all of our existing customers under these new procedures. And right, we are – Yeah, I've, I've actually heard from friends who, who are being re-credentialed. So you're right. I, I know it's being done. Yes, so that's, we decided to do that even before uh, the Federal Trade Commission order came out. So that was a process already in place. And we are 99% done of all the customers that are getting the most sensitive information and that, because we decided we better credential them, re-credential them first, and then we're now doing the rest of our customers. So that is a huge thing we did. Number two, which was huge, is we exited certain markets where we thought they were too high risk. We just said, we're not giving you data anymore. We're not selling data to you anymore. Is that the the private investigators or what particular? Well, it's collection agencies. Okay. um, And that's to the tune of a $15 to $20 million revenue loss for Right, right. right. And then we also, in addition to that, limited what access um, to information our customers get. So it's only in three circumstances where customers will get the social and the driver's license number, which we and the and the criminals view as the most sensitive, and that's what they want the most. Right, right. And in all other circumstances, we are not giving it or we're truncating or masking it. So we really tightened and limited, and a lot of other people are not doing that, but we've limited who is getting access uh, to that sensitive, personally identifiable information. Now, In Carol, addition- Carol, tell us, what, what, um, is some of this really what was required by the FTC? What was the order from the FTC? I know the, the Federal Trade Commission uh, looked at this very carefully because it was with regard to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which that's their jurisdiction. So could you kind of tell us what is it that they said and what was their ruling? And then, I mean, obviously, my experience, at least I remember when Chase years ago had a problem and the FTC investigated them, they went far beyond. And they now are are probably one of the better companies in terms of protection of privacy as well. So kind of tell us, what what is it that the uh, Federal Trade Commission, what was their final ruling? Yes, I'd be glad to. And and I I do want to underscore, Mari, that even before the FTC, and we entered into the order with them, this is is an agreement between the both of us. It's a settlement type. Uh Yes. 
it's a settlement order. It's a stipulated settlement order. That's Good. that's the the term for it. But even before that, I was not involved in the negotiation for the settlement order, but I am very much involved in compliance with it. I see. It is my full time job, and I love it. But even before that, a lot of the things that are in that order, we were already putting into place. Like I told you, all that credentialing was done long before the order was, uh, the order became effective on February 16th, to be exact, of this year. Right. And the the way I can explain the order to you, the easiest way I can explain it, is it's really in what I would call three major sections, in my viewpoint, in, in lay terms. One is there is the Fair Credit Reporting Act, what I call section compliance with the Fair Credit Reporting Act and ensuring that the customers who we deliver consumer reports to are using that information for permissible purpose. Right. And in that portion of the order, uh, we are required to do the credentialing that I just mentioned to you right. to get certifications from our customers, which we're already doing and had been doing, that they are going excuse me, use the data for permissible purpose, and then they know the penalties if they don't, and to credential those customers and to do site visits for a portion of those customers. The order sets forth some exceptions where we don't need to do site visits, but that is incorporated into the order. And really, that's the Fair Credit Reporting Act portion to ensure that the customers that we are giving consumer reports to, that they are using it for permissible purpose. And that covers the credentialing and it covers the site visit. Right. The second big portion, I would say, of the order is that we need to develop an information security program that covers administrative, technical, and physical safeguards. Well, we already have an information security program, but we are going to enhance it even more. And what the order requires is for us to hire somebody independent outside of ChoicePoint to come in and do an assessment of ChoicePoint first at the 180-day point and then every two years thereafter for the next 20 years. And like we are an audit. The, yes, it's an audit. And I, I'm happy to share with you, Mari, that in 2005, we had, ChoicePoint had 43 independent audits conducted of us and we passed every one. So Good. I think, and that was done by insurance companies, that's our customers, by federal agencies, by state agencies, by major financial institutions, and also what we call SAS 70 Type 2 reviews, which are kind of our, you know, internal controls and our technological controls uh, of our data system. So I told, you know, I told the FTC that, and I think this independent audit will be also very good, and we'll, we'll be doing that for the next 20 years. But since we, we did very well in the 43 we did in 2005, and we are working very hard to get ready for the, the first independent audit that's going to take place in 2006. Okay, before then, we go to the next one, I just want to reintroduce you so that if anybody's driving by, they, they know that we are talking to the Chief Privacy Officer and Compliance Officer for ChoicePoint, and she's explaining right now what the uh, the stipulated settlement was between the Federal Trade Commission and ChoicePoint. So I just wanted to make sure people know who, who they're listening to. Wonderful. And then the third major piece I would call would be the record-keeping and penalty portions, and that really is that requires requires us, Choice Point, to maintain all our records to show that we've complied with the order for the next six years. And in the in the assessment piece, which I just told you about, of the information security program, uh, we will be required to maintain records of that all the way through for the next 20 years and then three years after the final one. And then also with what I call record-keeping and compliance portion of the order, which is the third part, it includes a civil penalty of $10 million, which we have already paid. 
and it also includes $5 million for consumer redress, which we're very happy about because that goes to consumers. FTC, the FTC will uh, uh, manage that $5 million and provide it to consumers who uh, were affected by, you know, the choice, the, the breach that um, uh, affected Choice Point in 2005. So we have also already paid that to the Federal Trade Commission. And, Mari, I want to say about that settlement order, okay. uh, I am in charge of compliance with that order. I want to tell you and your viewers we take that very seriously at Choice Point. Everybody at Choice Point cares about that order. Everybody at Choice Point is involved with compliance with that order, and we will comply with it. So I'm, I have great respect for the Federal Trade Commission. As you know, I come from government, right. 32 years of it, and I will, uh, I take this seriously, but so do the top, the, the chairman and chief executive officer, our president, and every senior officer in the company take this seriously, and we will comply with it. You know, I, I think in some ways this could really make a difference, not only for consumers, but really for the rest of the industry, because if you're going to comply with this, um, is, doesn't that bring the, the the bar up for the rest of the the um, the uh, data brokers as well? Aren't they going to be looking at this as what is really going to be required of them? Do you think that's going to make a difference for them? I listened to Chairman uh, Majoris, the, the you know the chair yes, of the Deborah. Federal uh-huh. Trade Commission, and I've met her in person also. And She's what great. she has said, she is great. And what she has said is this will be a model. She conveyed exactly that message. Um, Mari, that what's happened here, and as you know, it's not just happened with us, so our order looks very similar to some other companies that the FTC took a look at, and uh, like the information security portion of the order, developing an information security program, and the record retention portion is very similar to what uh, they have put in other orders that they have done. But what she conveyed in a public setting was that this is going to be something that everyone should expect to be the standard, not just choice points. You know, um, we know, I mean, I, I was testifying in Congress with um, LexisNexis and Axiom, and they've had security breaches also. And we're talking about an industry that the major the major players are basically LexisNexis, Axiom, and of course, ChoicePoint. They are the, they're the biggies, kind of like, you know, the three credit bureaus, right? So it is really critical that what you're doing as a model, I mean, even though you had to go through this horrendous nightmare, um, it, it really could be a blessing in disguise, not only for the for you and the consumers, but but for the industry. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what do you think should happen? I know I testified on um, Bill Nelson's bill, which was S-500, dealing with data brokers, and that's kind of put aside. And there's lots of different legislation now that um, is being proposed in Congress to regulate data brokers. What, what would be your suggestion for what should happen in terms of the regulation of data brokers? Mari, first of all, as you know, we are already highly regulated by, obviously, the, uh, the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, we have to comply, and we will comply, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, DPPA, Gramm-Leach-Bliley, and other laws. And now the also, the uh, as of this month, we have 25 states who now have uh, consumer notification laws. Right. If there is a breach, we, we just had Wisconsin and Indiana join in 2006. Right, right. But um, we have, Choice Point has not taken a position on what those laws should say. But I will say this, 
we will comply with whatever those laws right, say. Right, right. And yeah. we will comply um, happily, and, and we will make sure we comply with every part of those laws. But as far as what one should say versus the other versus the other, we really, we have supported federal legislation that would set standards for when companies or institutions should notify in the event of a data breach. We have supported legislation, but we have not said what the trigger should be. Right. Because we're going to comply with whatever the Congress decides on that. Right. But right. we have supported, as you know, right. we developed, maybe you don't know, we developed a, a notification policy that covers every state, even though only 25 of the states have laws now. So if there is a breach, which hopefully we will not have another one, but if there is one, we notify in every state. That is what we did, and we also comply with the 25 states that have laws, but we have gone over and above that, and our policy says we will notify in every state. And, you know, that's really good because that kind of – when you ended up doing that, that kind of set the standard because right after the the choice point uh, notification, which ended up, you know, uh, when you first notified Californians and then there was kind of a brouhaha with the AGs and then you went ahead and notified, um, right after that, the Bank of America had their big $1.2 million million uh, person breach and they did nationwide as well yeah. so I think you did set the standard to, and you brought it up to that level so tell us in terms of what you know we have all these security breach laws what is your standard <coughs> I mean what do you think should be the standard um, or the trigger you, you haven't taken a position on that or you just no because right now we are complying with all every time a new state law passes I incorporate that into our notification policy so we com- we have a matrix, and we make sure we're complying with every state law, because every state, by the way, they're different, as you know. Right, right. Each one has a different standard, so we make sure we comply with every state law, and we do um, notify potentially affected consumers. Right, and and I think, you know, at least from my perspective, um, I think that the California law is is. It's working, so why break it? You know, I mean, basically, that's what I would like to see, at least that standard. But it doesn't look really good about that right now. Um, what, do you, what do you see as the concern by privacy ad- advocates as to commercial uses of the data that you guys, can, you know, uh, have in your files? Can you repeat that, yeah, Mark? I mean, I'm not sure I understand um, the question. No, okay. Yeah, I mean, I know that um, there sometimes is that push-pull, which I think, you know, one of the good things that has happened is since you've joined, I think you've, um, because of your privacy background and because they've really established privacy as a um, – a, a, a real commitment in Choice Point. I think things are really changing. I think you're having a lot more support of uh, the privacy professionals. But what do you? How do you see um, the concerns that privacy professionals and privacy advocates have about commercial um, collection um, and dissemination of uh, consumer information? What I have seen, Mari, is they have the same concerns that we do. Uh, that we at Choice Point have. They, uh, they, and I've talked to Beth Givens who is wonderful, who you know right. very well, and Pam Dixon, right. and Chris Huffnagel at Epic, and Jim Dempsey at Center for Democracy and Technology, and anyone that I can talk to about this issue. And it's how are we protecting, you know, the data? That's the main concern that I am hearing from Beth and Pam and, and Chris is, are you putting enough safeguards in place to protect it? Because they recognize, as we all do, that data is available everywhere. We're in an, we are an information society, and we are trying to provide data 
to customers so they can help consumers, as I tried to say early in the program. We're trying to provide data to nonprofits so they can do background screens and keep bad people away from children. We're trying to provide data to insurance companies so they can help people get lower price home and auto insurance. So we are trying to provide it so it can ultimately, at the end of the day, help consumers get credit fast or get benefits or be safer. What, whatever the reason is, we want to help the consumers in the long run. So the real issue, and this is what I hear from all the privacy advocates, and I am with them 100%, is what are you going to do to protect it? Well, I think there's an, there's two other issues that, that- that I get concerned about, and I know you know I've had uh, Beth on this show several times and Chris and all those people, and I think there there's a couple other issues that maybe you can help me with. Sure. And, and that is, one is, um, and I think you're do, starting to do it, is the issue of transparency so that we know, um, we can find out what's in that file. And, and the idea of getting that pre-employment check, uh, background check is helpful. I I would like to know, and I have seen some of my background checks, I would like to know what is in my file. And I think the issue of transparency, of being able to get that is really important um, because you collect a lot of information. I want to be able to, to know what's in there and see it. And also the ability to correct it if it's inaccurate. So I think those are huge issues with regard to not just ChoicePoint, but all of the data brokers. And Mara, you are absolutely right. I mean, protection of the data, obviously, you have to do that first because you don't want it to get into the wrong hands and then it's misused and it ruins people's lives when it gets misused. But transparency is critical for us. As you know, we are trying very hard uh, through what I told you earlier to give consumers access to the data. We now have this public record search that will be a compilation of what is available uh, about them publicly. Right. And they can get that free. And we also talked about for a fee, the back of the pre-employment uh, background screen. So yes. That's uh, terrific. That we is. are committed to more and more transparency. And we're trying through our website, choicetrust.com and choicepoint.com to get that information out to consumers. Now, Carol, let me ask you something. Let's say I, I go and I, I purchase the, the background check and I see there's errors. Like under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, if I see an error on my credit report, I do two things. I, number one, contact the credit bureaus and tell them that this is an error, and then they have a duty to notify. And then I go further, and I would contact the company themselves. Of course, I'd have to get their address from the credit bureau, because I might not know who it is, especially if it's fraud. And and then I would contact them as well. So what happens if I get my background check tomorrow, Carol, and then I see things on there that aren't me? You know, I mean, maybe there's a criminal conviction in Montana, and I've never been to Montana. Montana. What would I do then? How would I uh, utilize the um, choice points services then? At this point, uh, Mari, you have to go back to the, and I mentioned this earlier, we will point you back to the source of the data. And then because it is kept by the government, and I, I think that's a great issue to discuss with uh, in, a, in, a, in an open forum, because that information is kept by the government, the government would have to correct it. So we can point the consumer in this public uh, record search report. We will actually have on there what the source is Very of that good. data. Yeah. Yeah. And then the consumer, by seeing that, is pointed to... We don't have the, the ability or the capability to correct it. They, because if we did correct it, it, they, it would still come back the, wrong again. 
the next time we pulled it. So you have to go to the source of the data to correct it. Well, you know, and it's this like report will allow them to see the source of the data, and they would have to go then to the source to correct it. Right. Well, you know what? We are out of time. I can't believe this. We only have about another minute left. Two. Now, now Lloyd is telling me we have two, two and a half minutes left. <laughs> you are just such a wealth of information, but I think that is an issue of like how can we correct and how can we make it, you know, so that the consumer doesn't get a runaround. And how do we make your your? I'm sure that you want that Choice Point wants the record to be accurate as well, right? I mean, it makes sense. Absolutely. So um, we're going to give your website again. We've been speaking um, with Carol DeBatiste, who is the Chief Privacy Officer uh, and Compliance Officer for ChoicePoint, and she's been giving us a wealth of information, and we can go to choicetrust.com, right, Carol? Yes. And there we can get our free disclosures. And what can we get at choicepoint.com? I know I've gotten my... uh, you know, my uh, landlord-tenant report and my work history report and my insurance report there as well. What else can I get there at choicepoint.com? Choice, I, I want to keep redirecting you, Mark, okay, to choicetrust.com. Okay. Choicepoint.com <laughs> is our main website. Okay. And you can get to choicetrust.com through choicepoint.com. But okay. it's choicetrust.com where you're going to get your fact act report, your screening, your tenant screening, your background reports, your auto and um, property, you know, uh, insurance report, and right. your public record search. Right. That's at choicetrust.com. The only reason I mentioned choicepoint.com is if you go there, you can learn about choicepoint and then you that can you can get to choice trust through that. Right. So we have about another minute left. Could you just tell us what some of your goals for the future as the chief uh, privacy officer? Yes, I would love to. Uh, first is compliance with the uh, the uh, Federal Trade Commission order. We, as I mentioned earlier, I'm focused. I'm very focused, laser-like focus on that order uh, to ensure we comply. Uh, also, we are constantly looking at new things we can do, such as you know, Mari, what we're doing now with the ChoiceTrust.com website. We are, by the end of April, we are going to have that public record search report done via the Internet online instead of having to mail things in. That is an advancement. It is. That is something to help consumers. So I'm planning to do that by the end of April. We're developing, always looking at new policies, procedures, and guidelines. We just we did our consumer notification policy. We're looking at updating our data destruction policy. We have many other policies that we're working on that will help to protect the data. We are. I also run a compliance shop, as you know. So in this next year, I am doing a, a series of audits of our customers and also that will ultimately reach to some of the consumers. So the consumers will tell us, yes, we did give that customer permission to pull the consumer report so I could uh, get insurance or so I could get a background screen. And I will be auditing that to be sure that the consumer did give the permissible purpose. So I'm doing a lot of policies and procedures, uh, audit and compliance. And then in the education and outreach, Mari, uh, this year, I, I uh, last year I did over 60 events to go out to talk to people about the good things, about what ChoicePoint does, about how we're committed to privacy and security. And I am already continuing on that this year to get out as much as I can to tell people and to help the consumers out there and, and, and reassure them that we are committed to the, you know, to the responsible use and protection of consumer information. 
Well, thank you so much, Carol. I am so glad that you're in that position because I know you are the best person for the job. And we're really, I know my friends in the uh, privacy profession, you know, the privacy professionals are, are really thrilled that you're there. And I so appreciate you coming on today. Well, so we w- so we'll much. have to have you on next year when you can tell us all the other new things you're doing. All right. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thanks. And you thank you for joining us all the way from the East Coast. Thank you. you thank you. We've been listening to Carol DeBatiste, who is the Chief Credentialing Compliance and Privacy Officer for ChoicePoint. You've been listening to KU KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and on the net at KUCI.org. To learn more about our show and um, Lloyd and I, you can go to, what can you do? Oh, KUCI.org forward slash privacy piracy. And when you're there, you can look at all of our previous interviews, all of the VIPs that we've interviewed, and you can click and listen live right there. And also you can, we podcast now, so you can download those podcasts. You can even uh, get a subscription and we'd love to have you. So join us next week at 5 to 6 p.m. at KUCI.org. Thank you, Lloyd, too. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.